Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne Podcast. I'm so excited for today's show, and we're going to jump right into it. And with that, I've got joining me from, well, Matthew, from you're in Utah currently, right? But your base of operations, your company's out of California. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Good morning, AJ. How are you? Doing great. And I got to tell you too, you know, your your accent is very reminiscent of Utah. So that makes sense. Well, it is, yes. Hours and hours of practice every morning, listening to Rosetta Stone just to polish those vowels. <laughs> Well, give our give our listeners some background here. We, you know, talk to us about what you do and uh, where you're from. Uh, well, I'm originally from England, just um, southeast by uh, just outside London. Moved here about eight years ago. Um, landed in uh, Orange County, California, and uh, moved to. Um, just north of Salt Lake City in Utah about a year ago. So um, the company that I founded uh, almost four years ago is called Quantum RE. And um, we work um, very much in the uh, homeowner financing space. But uh, my sort of career, if you can call it that, um, since I was in my mid-20s was very much entrepreneurial, which means that, frankly, I was you know unable to hold down any job. Um, in uh, when in my sort of uh, early thirties, mid thirties, I worked for, uh, worked with um, Sir Richard Branson for a number of years, um, with the Virgin Group, which was you know some of the, <laughs> looking back, some of the best times I think. Um, so I've had a pretty uh, varied career. I've been involved in finance, telecoms, uh, technologies, and um, really I. Uh, built a number of um, sort of web-based platforms we were involved in the internet when it first started when no one had any idea what that was so that was uh, God, looking <laughs> I was sort of dating myself very badly doing that so so really just um anything to do with telecom uh, with with technology finance um platforms we're very much involved with blockchain technologies as part of our platform now um so uh I'm very very excited still 4 years in to be doing what we're doing and you know, you really you're working as a, you know, th- this this lender merging with tech has fascinated me over the last ten years, right? So finance moving in and incorporating technology and the changes that it's brought about in the finance world and banking and what people are able to do with it, um, I think is is severely underrated. And I, you know, why don't you give people kind of a little background of how this landscape um, has changed? Because there's been huge changes, obviously, over the last uh, 15 years in finance and technology, where it seems like, uh, you know, finance, especially large investment banks and everything else like that, they seem to, to be a little behind the times and they were getting disrupted by a lot of these tech companies that were trying to get in on the game, so to speak. Yeah, so technology is one of those strange things where um, actually what you want is to have a service that's useful to people where the technology is irrelevant. 
Um, and that's really what's happened um, in a number of different sectors, whether it's, you know, finance, uh, travel, banking, um, or, you know, any number of things that we used to do by going down the road to the local store or, you know, flicking through, you know, the yellow pages, trying to find someone. Um, the fact that that has moved into an environment where it's much easier to find these people, what that's done is that's created far more choice for the consumer, whether it's, a, you know, you know finance or any other type, type of uh, product. Um, and choice is always a good thing for the consumer because choice... Um, enhances or um, creates more competition and competition again is is normally very good so what technology and i think in particular um the internet now i say the internet because we've got the next set of technologies which is blockchain technologies but the internet technologies um as we all know really have opened up the marketplace and made it much easier for companies to provide products to compare products and um, that comparison means that consumers can make informed buying decisions and informed buying decisions tends to weed out the, the people that aren't terribly competitive um, and uh, gives rise to, you know, companies, you know, think of people like Rocket Mortgage and E-Trade, you know, these types of organisations that really wouldn't have been able to um, have ex existed in the format that they exist today had that technology. So my, my final point really is those guys rely on technology, but you would never know it as a consumer. So you don't have any contact with the technology side. It just works. It delivers a solution. It delivers you with a choice and access to products, financial products, investments, banking products that otherwise you wouldn't have been able to get. Now, when when did you get started and in the lending world? Like what? When when was that? Well, the funny thing is, we're not actually lenders, and this is the real difference with what we do. Um, but we started looking at this type of approach for home financing about mm -hmm. five or six years ago. Um, and that's when I sort of stumbled across it at a, uh, it was at a crowdfunding conference. We set up Quantum RE in December 17. And so we're just coming up for our fourth birthday. And, you know, my God, how time flies. Yes. Um, so so we, we looked at it a, a few years before that, but it was really only uh, after a couple of years of significant, you know, head scratching um, that, that we were came up with a solution that solved a number of the problems that were associated with this particular approach. Now, you know, I am so interested in this space, as I, I kind of mentioned to you before, the the disruption, but really not even the disruption. Like when I think of uh, different technology platforms and utilization in different industries of technology, there's just complete disruptors, right? But there's also enhancers, there's connectors, right? And uh, the company that um, I own out of Newport, which is a open based system for um, self-storage facilities, right? It's a it's a connector. Yeah. It has a open, totally open platform with APIs, data transfer, everything's open available. It can back into other technology platforms as we're trying to simply increase the data. We have GDS, which is our, our brain, which is the data holder. I'm not going to get too much into that. The point being is they're, they're used for an individual operator to now exaggerate the performance of that asset 
right? Whereas yeah. the big boys prior only had the ability to do this. And yes. when you look at other spaces, so other industries that I was in, the same thing happened sooner in other industries. Self-storage has been late. But um, the same thing happened in uh, medical brokerage uh, firms, yeah. which I was part of and I owned was same thing with the data. The big billion-dollar companies, they had data to do complex underwriting, everything. And then technology companies would come out and they would basically bridge that gap and give independent operators the ability to leverage the same technology um, and use it. So technology integrating with systems like, let's say, getting a home mortgage or anything else like yes. that, that was a standardized um, way to do things. Um, and it's it's leveraging and taking advantage of the platform and giving options to consumers, which instead of like a lot of ones disrupt and turn over certain industries or aggregate, ag aggregate and consolidate power, um, the power is actually through the technology being distributed. It's going yes. to independent operators. It's going to consumers, right? And it, from what I understand, it sounds like your platform is more like that. It's not that it's necessarily trying to disrupt or anything, but it's trying to allow the homeowners then and allow individuals things, options, and their ability to leverage the their their built, uh, purchasing ability. Yes. I mean, it's a number of different things. I mean, what we want to be able to do is enable um, our products to become more mainstream. Um, and, and the product that we have is the ability for homeowners to access the capital in their homes without taking on more debt. So we are investors, not in homes. Yeah, um, and and so that that product and that is it's an important difference because there are um, you know tens of millions of homes in the U.S. where the owners of that of, the, of those properties have fifty percent or more equity now. Equity is a two-edged sword because you can be house rich but cash poor. And mm -hmm. um, many of the people that we speak to, so, so the problem that we solve is if you have significant amounts of equity in your home but cannot borrow money or don't want to borrow money, then before us there were no other options other than yeah. selling your home. So that the um, the product or the... the um, you know, what we do, the financial option that we provide is very different to a loan. Yeah. Now, what that does is that addresses a market that is previously underserved. And that market mm -hmm. is a $23 trillion market because that's the amount of equity that is in single family and multifamily homes. In other words, you know, owner-occupied residences. Now, the technology um, really just enables us to do a number of things. It enables us to speak to many people at once. So using social media platforms, we can communicate the message that you can do this yeah. now, whereas before you couldn't. But behind the scenes, um, the other part of what we do is we take the investment that is created when you allow a homeowner to access some of their equity. And we use blockchain technologies to slice and dice that investment up and make it available to smaller investors. So, okay, so see that I didn't, I didn't quite understand. So I, I wanna, cause I wanna uh, talk about this. When, when you look at equity op opportunities and options, kind of like what I was saying before, the big boys had it, right? Like, so exactly. me, I have lots of options with equity 
equity in my home, equity in my businesses, right? It's like we have people that line up. I have hard assets all over the United States. I own cash flowing businesses. The opportunity for me to exercise equity on a global spell, uh, a scale through all sorts of different means is really mind-boggling. I really don't even understand yet the power and how, how to do it. Now, for an individual homeowner that may have same types of equity, their options are very limited, like you said. You really are, I got to go to the bank and I got to take on a second mortgage, um, yeah. which the interest rates are going to be higher, their debt loads, it has negative repercussions, different things like that. Or I got to sell the home to then uh, get that equity. But then that presents another problem if they exercise or if they sell it to exercise that equity, then what do you do? Where do you go live, right? There's just not a lot of good good opportunities and options. And uh, um, so I'm interested not only the product, but the method through uh, blockchain, which blockchain technology and um, most people just simply think of coin-based, right? So you're thinking uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, I'm really interested in how that's being applied in the space because I've a long believer, you know, blockchain technology applied to things like insurance, for example, which I have a lot of background in, um, and the ledger purpose through finance mm-hmm. has always really, really inter- interested me. But I've never talked to someone that's applied it in a private sector um, like this. Um, and that to me is fascinating. So when you're using the blockchain, you're using the blockchain to basically um, segment out like almost tranches. Is that correct? Of the yes. equity. Well, blockchain, as you, you mentioned earlier, so you know, blockchain in its purest sense is a distributed ledger technology. So now there's a big difference, um, you know, as every schoolboy knows, between Bitcoin and blockchain. So yes. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are built on the blockchain, blockchain technology because um, blockchain as a ledger enables you to move value from one place to another and keep a record of that that cannot be changed and um, you know cannot be altered without someone finding out. So which, we use words... Which too, I just want to give some uh, context for anybody that uh, too doesn't understand that. That's the traditional means of why we have like centralized um, banking systems, credit cards, things like that. We use those because all they're doing is using like, uh, you know, like T-charts for credits and debits. They're making ledgers of who owes what to who. And it's aggregated and we and we trust those things because of different things like agency ratings, histories, whatnot. So we trust them to make good ledgers out of um, capital and what's going on. But uh, two, it can also be a single point of failure. Like as we see, people can break in, people can make mistakes, right? There's all kinds of things associated with that. But generally speaking, the reason blockchain exists is because up until this point, the only means of verification and a ledger format, like for debits, credits, things like that, has been through approved, licensed, good, centralized things. And we pay to use uh, centralized ledger systems. So the blockchain does that. It does the ledgering, right? And ledgering means um, who, what's happening, who's going coding what. Um, so this is a very different format in that. So I just wanted to kind of give some background on what 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 that is and what we're talking about here. Yes, and, and but the great thing about blockchain technologies is that they are very cost effective mm-hmm. um, and very scalable. Yes, and also 
you can trust them because the way that they're built um, is they're built around trust as yes. the primary objective. So you've got scalability, you've got distributability, if that is indeed a word, um, and you have inbuilt trust. So coming Verification. Back to, uh, exactly. So you, you can prove that things have happened and mm -hmm. other people who are not connected with the business can take a look so it can be verified by anyone who wants to take a look at the the blockchain because, um, you know, you've either got private blockchains or public blockchains, but the public blockchains are available to anyone to inspect. But all of that aside, see, what we don't really want to do is have a conversation at the consumer level about the technology yes. we use because to them they don't really understand no, i mean if they you don't talk need about to. a mobile phone you don't see that i'm speaking to you on a mobile phone that's using 4g technologies and the time division multiplexing that's used in this digitization of my speech at which point the person at the other end of the phone is either hung up or fallen asleep yeah so it's like all technology that we utilize right i mean think about this we're we're talking we're videoing we're having a discussion in real time i don't actually know how any of it works we all like to say that we do oh it's used because of uh cell phone towers right and and you don't you don't, don't want to that's the whole no. point you you just it just you know, needs to work uh, exactly so so the problem, coming back to the critical issue, is what problem are you solving and how are you delivering benefits to the end consumer that they couldn't otherwise get? Um, and so the, the, the problem that we saw was you've got millions of homeowners that cannot, as you said before, that just don't have access to financial tools to give them the ability to unlock their equity without having to go into debt. So, um, and we didn't create this um, financial instrument. It's been around for about 10 years um, in various different flavors. And essentially what it is, it's an agreement that the homeowner has with an investor where the homeowner says, if you give me a cash lump sum today, then when I sell my home, which can be at you know, some point in the future, in some cases up to 30 years, I'll give you back that initial investment, but I'll also give you a share of the amount that my house has gone up in value. And so it's not a loan because yeah. there are no monthly payments, there's no debt, there's no interest, because it's just not a loan. So the investor is trading cash today, which he gives to the homeowner, in exchange for future profitability based on the anticipated increase in value of the home. And so that trade, which is an equity investment in its truest sense, um, gives the homeowner up to half a million dollars today, which is a significant cash sum with no monthly payments, no debt, up to 30 years to settle the agreement. For the investor, they've got an asset-backed investment that gives them the ability to buy into equity appreciation in residential homes that are not for sale. Can they so, do... So th now this is where this gets interesting, and this took a different turn than I expected. I, I've seen other models and things, but it, it really is in the form of the interest. So instead, what they're doing is they're putting buyers and or they're putting individuals in the place of lenders for the 
equity portion. So these aren't lenders at all. They're not saying the homeowner will now pay an additional amount and get these little small investors will get distribution, um, which that's that's intriguing to me. I, it, you may not have invented it, but um, I've never really seen it, uh, heard of it, and I've definitely not in this form because, yes. how, yeah, and never seen it done or heard of it in the blockchain, which now that really intrigues me um, because of the vehicle that you're using to power it to ensure that those investors are capable. So I, I have a few questions here that I want to go through. Um, first thing that I want to understand is we talk about the you have 30 years to settle up with the investors. If I don't want to sell my home, can I actually refi or take out a loan and then pay them? Or is it, no, you do have to sell that home? No. And again, we wouldn't want to force people to sell their home because that wouldn't solve the problem. That would create new problems. So yes. um, you've got to settle the agreement. So we want yeah. our, um, you know, when, when the end of the agreement comes up, there is an obligation on you as the person that signed the agreement to settle up with us. But you don't have to sell your home. In fact, um, we've set the agreement so that you can pay them off or buy them back at any time during that period. So there's lots of flexibility. It's not designed to be a, a poison pill. Yes. It's designed to, to provide you because um, we do have a solid investment as a result of that agreement. So that investment, um, which is secured by a lien on your property, we don't take ownership in your property. We don't um, go on title as tenants in common or co-owners. It's just but a lien. We just protect the investment with yes. liens. So that means when you do sell your home, we're part of that lien settlement process. Um, but um, no, you have you know all sorts of flexibility to buy us back at any point without uh, you know prepayment penalties. Okay, now now you're okay. First of all, everybody on the podcast, um, I, I, I'd like to say, uh, uh, poor Matthew, we get on. I'm like, you know, I don't want to talk about selling or, yeah, I don't want you to be pitching or anything else like that because we don't do that on this podcast. And I was actually going to really have a talk with uh, Matthew on this and everything. And I'm taking a total turn because all I, all I want to know about is this. So um, <laughs> poor Matthew's probably going, am I supposed to talk about this stuff or not? Like, because you told me like, I don't want to, but um, I'm just so absolutely 100% intrigued. And um, this stuff is so cool to me. You all have to hit, just let, let me ask questions about Matthew's company now. So it uh, we'll learn more about Matthew at another time. Um, so now, Walk me through here. On now, you're talking about this uh, equity portion, which this one of the reasons and why I get so excited about this is um, I, I had a I've always had a, uh, a a big belief in two separate things, and and one of my biggest beliefs was that um, capitalism can solve all problems. Um, and then the next biggest belief was that the problem and how to help people was to allow capitalism to work. And there's a bunch of different things in the government that, um, like accredited investors, things like that, that shield all these people from participating in capitalism in a big way. The reason why I bring this up is because also the form of direct investments. Only certain people can do direct investments, particularly at scale and everything. Now, my question with you is, is this, so if I'm going in, because you're making a direct investment into a home that's going to appreciate, right? That's literally what you're doing. Yeah. Um, is there a criteria? So let's say that I do want to, are you dictated by the same SEC laws that would require me to be an accredited investor? Yes, we are. So there's two sides of the equation. So first of all, from a homeowner's perspective, you don't have to be an accredited investor to unlock some of the equity in your home. But to be an so investor, you do. 
Exactly. So you're, you're not an investor at that point. But when we talk about the investment side, we are dealing in securities because what we're yes. doing is we're taking that asset that is created as a result of investing in that person's home. So the asset is backed by that person's home. It's an individual agreement, but it has a return profile that is based on the potential for that property to go up. So as that property goes up in value, the amount that the investor can get also increases. So that's an investment. And what we do in our platform is we chop that investment up into little pieces and offer it to smaller investors. So rather than having to buy the whole investment, yeah. which could be a hundred or $200,000, they can buy fractions of it. And that's where we use blockchain technologies. But to answer your question, we do that through creating a security instrument. And that means we fall firmly under the purview of the Investment Act yes. and the SEC. So that means we do have to offer those interests, those securities under an exemption. Okay. The first exemption restricts us to just accredited investors. But it is our plan later this year or early next year to use a different exemption that means you don't have to be accredited. So anyone that has um, anyone in the US will be able to subject to us, you know, subject to regulatory approval, will be able to buy and sell fractions of these home equity agreements. Now, okay, now let me walk here uh, through another question. So you, you don't have to be, though, to put your home to get investors in it, to get equity out. You can get that cash payment, um, all those things we talked about. Now I want to know more about the underwriting. So now how are you guys underwriting the asset and how is that done? Do you have areas in the United States that you like, you don't like? Is it predicated on um, the overall markets? Like, how do you look at that? And how do you determine? And do you do that at all? Or is it just simply, here's a house and, um, yeah. No, we, we, are, we're, we're, we are selective um, about where we invest. And that selectiveness is determined by... Uh, licenses. In other words, in order to operate in certain states, we need to have certain real estate licenses. Um, but also, it's really determined by the likelihood of house price appreciation in that area. We won't invest in certain states where there is unlikely to be significant house price appreciation or where house price appreciation is likely to be below the national average. And I think we, we we're all familiar with you know where, where those states are. Um, we do operate directly in three partnerships in 19 states. And those states are primarily sort of the, the coastal states. Uh, and those are states where from a regulatory perspective, it's not problematic. And we're, where we're likely to see solid house price appreciation. Now, Problems appear when we're dealing in certain states. Texas is a good example. Because of the homestead regulations there, it makes it very difficult for our investors to exercise their uh, interests or to protect their interests by way of a lien. So we don't operate in Texas, even though it's an enormous potential market. Um, and in states like California, for example, um, we don't operate everywhere in California, but in you know, really we're looking to operate in metropolitan service areas where there's a very um where price transparency is easy to discover yeah. now it, walk me through do you classify different houses as different investment types so is you're like okay this is a 
this is a multi-million dollar beach home that has all this equity, which, you know, and there's another one, and this is more of an upcoming neighborhood. And uh, like, is there any, do you work with on that investor side? Like, you know, there may be more appreciation here. This one's safer. Do you classify that at all? Or is it simply, here's what we know, here's the house. How's that How's that work in, in that more that well, offering? Initially, I, and I think over time, when we have more data, we will be able to score investments according to different criteria. But right now we're looking at um, homes between say $200,000 and um, say two and a half million, three million, something like that. Um, and obviously when I say something like that, but we do have sort of specific areas. What we tend to avoid is the higher priced beach homes because um, the pricing of those is far more difficult yeah. than the pricing of a, a home in a tract in Irvine, for example. where and it fluctuates. Yes. Yeah, so the, the, the larger value homes, you can have three different opinions that can be a million dollars apart in terms of yes. value. So we're looking for homes that are um, easier to value in terms of price transparency. Um, but, and there's lots of them. I mean, there are yeah. millions and millions of these homes. Yeah, that's um, the vast majority of them. Exactly. So we want to avoid the the edge cases because mm-hmm. from an investment perspective, the more predictable an investment is and the more price transparency is, then the easier it is um, to you know, to predict what the likelihood of that price of that investment uh, appreciating is going to be. Yeah, it's not a luxury good. It's a uh, it's it's a utility. It's an actual need in the market, which as long as the need goes up, the prices are associated with it. Um, now, let me. Um, ask you, what are your top five favorite uh, or top five states um, that you like for housing appreciation? Well, at the moment, most of the activity that we have is in California, Florida, New York. Um, Those are the sort of, that's the bulk of the activity. Um, And then there's other you know states you know Connecticut North Carolina but they tend to be you know far fewer the bulk by far of the activity that we see which is really driven by our advertising so mm-hmm. you know we're not going to get huge results from states where we don't advertise so we yeah. drive traffic um, to Californian residents and and so therefore as a result that's where the bulk of our deals come from um, so, so even though we do operate in other states, you know, yeah. the bulk of our stuff is a direct result of where we're where we're marketing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so mostly coastal and highly populated areas. Obviously. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because because again, our returns are dependent on house price appreciation. They're yes. not dependent on lending. So with a lender, you know, as long as you've got enough security, then really it doesn't matter where. You're lending as long as you've got enough coverage um, from the asset perspective. But our proposition is very different. It still is available to you know tens of millions of people. So, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, it's not a niche business as such. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you: um, Do you look at the homeowners at all? Yes, we do because we we primarily underwrite the property, but also. These are owner-occupied properties in the vast majority of cases. We do offer home equity agreements to non-owner-occupied or investment properties, but the vast majority, 90-something percent of the work that we do is with owner-occupied people, owner-occupied homes. So therefore, we want to 
have some really good indication about what the likely behaviours of those owner-occupiers are going to be. Now, credit scores gives us some of that information. Um, so we're really looking at their credit history. We're looking at not so much what their score is, but what's caused that score if it's low. We can work with people in the, you know, the low 500s, even below 500 as a credit score. So credit scores are important because of the the characteristics or the information they give us about the behaviour. Um, but we, we tend to avoid people that have had um, or are still in bankruptcies, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, income is not necessarily a problem for us. If there's enough equity in the property, we can disregard your income. So yeah. unlike a loan, where income is critical, mm-hmm. in our case, we can, in some cases, just ignore it. Um, but really, main thing for us is you know initial credit scores, bankruptcies, um, and, and really the information that's on title, who owns the property? Is it a complex ownership situation? Um, yeah. Are there hidden liens or silent seconds? Or, um, and that, that's normally where the, uh, um, you know, the road bumps are. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I could just keep talking to you about this forever, but I uh, uh, we've <laughs> a little past our time here. I, I would be happy to keep talking yeah. to you. Believe me. This so, is. You know, this is. Uh, if you have a donkey around, I will talk the hind legs <laughs> off it. <you> know. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, I'm just so intrigued, and this is really cool. Um, I really, really think this is uh, an awesome thing that you guys have come up with, and um, you. what you're doing. So, where where can people go to find out more and dig in even more to this? Um, well, all of the information that you um, really would, would need initially is on the website, which is quantumre.com, Q-U-A-N-T-M-R-E.com. And so we have um, a, a downloadable ebook that gives you some information about how these programs work. There's lots of interviews and podcasts and blog articles. So there's lots of stuff behind the scenes. We've got a calculator there that gives you the ability to tap in your address and find out how much you could unlock. And um, so... That's really the central place for all of the resources. And we have human beings behind the website um, that are very happy to speak to you and answer any questions you have. So even though we're a technology company, we, we love talking to people. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for letting me just quiz you away. No, 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 it's my pleasure. Stuff, so. and it's been great. Thank you for having me on. It's been, it's been a real joy. Wonderful. Well, um, looking forward to see your continued success. Thank you.